We are facing a mental health crisis, and it's more important than ever to have access to the support we need. That's why I'm grateful for BetterHelp, the largest online counseling platform in the world. BetterHelp is changing the way people get help with life challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to licensed therapists. With BetterHelp, professional counseling is available anytime, anywhere from your smartphone, computer, or tablet. If you're looking for support, sign up today at BetterHelp.com. Use the promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE to get 10% off sign-up fees. That's BetterHelp.com, promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Podcast Nation, welcome to a very special podcast. I'm really excited to bring Dr. David Levine in the mix because this is a very how do I how do I frame this? He is an innovator when it comes to healthcare delivery, and I heard him on Freakonomics, and I got to tell you that's a pretty tough crowd, David, and you handled yourself quite well, which was pretty impressive. But David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Quajo. I'm hoping you'll be a little easier on me than they were at Freakonomics. <laughs> I, I think you're going to enjoy this one a little bit more. But David and I share, I would say, a similar passion on how we can improve healthcare delivery, improve the quality experience for our patients. So I want to hear like how you got started with this home hospital concept, evaluating that, getting involved. Like, What led you to be in that space? You know, I'll take you back a little bit, actually. I, uh, I used to be a high school teacher. And when I was a high school teacher, I did my first house calls. So I taught in a pretty rough part of the country. And a lot of my kids ended up being homebound for a little while. They would unfortunately get shot walking out of school. They would have kids really early and have to, you know, be out of school taking care of, taking care of their babies. And, um, and I, I actually went to their homes so that they didn't fall behind high school chemistry. Mm. And when I walked in their homes, everything just clicks, Quadro. Like you, you get everything going on for them, um, in a way that you can never figure out when they're in your four white walls in, in the, in the classroom, right? And so I took that lesson very, very seriously. Like it was, it was a big deal for me to, to see the power of being in someone's home. It, you know, you are a, I like to call it, you're a professional guest when you come into someone's home. And, uh, I wanted, I wanted to make sure that I kept that practice with me when I ended up in medicine. And so ended up working a lot in the community and medical school. 
ended up starting a house calls rotation and residency um, and, you know, learned from really, really amazing, um, you know, home-based practitioners and then uh, ended up just brainstorming with a lot of my mentors and saying, hey, like, why can't we deliver hospital care in people's homes? There's all these problems with, with hospital care. Why can't we do that at home? And so uh, that that's kind of the long story to how, how I ended up uh, doing, doing acute care medicine in people's homes. I mean, number one, I could see the high school teacher in you. If I, I just, so, just so your <laughs> communication style and just the way, I don't know, you're very approachable, David. But I, second, there must have been so many valuable lessons, not only as you mentioned, being in, in people's homes, but also having that, being that uh, communicator, that high school teacher piece, and then bringing that into medicine. But um, tell me, how did this, like some of the the steps to be able to bring hospitals to home? Because I'll tell you this, like as a, an outsider and someone that's never explored this, it seems daunting. It, it mm-hmm. really does. Like if you think about whether it's going to be blood work, any other form of investigations, like how did you create, like how were you able to, to uproot this? Yeah. Well, I got to say, I'm, I'm standing on, standing on big shoulders, right? And one of the biggest shoulders, honestly, are all the folks that deliver healthcare in the home every day. That a lot of us folks who are either in the clinic or in the hospital, like we don't, we don't see them. We, you know, we are discharged to home health or, oh, some, somebody will go see you to give you physical therapy um, or all those different things. And so there's an entire home-based infrastructure that a lot of clinicians don't really appreciate necessarily. Um, And I was able to learn from a lot of those clinicians who either delivered home-based primary care, home-based palliative care, home health, home infusion, home hospice, all those service lines, right, that, that have existed in, in, in many countries for decades and have basically then said, you know what? We can, we can probably smoosh something together here. We can retool here. We can change this workflow. We can leverage probably some additional technologies. And we can make acute care happen too. Um, and so it was really kind of a, a packaging approach, I think. And looking at, you know, we see inefficiencies in the hospital because of X, Y, and Z. We see inefficiencies in home-based care because of these other issues. How can we essentially combine them all together? It's a good point that you're making. Like, I mean, I'm also a palliative care physician. This is another space yeah. where where we obviously, it's so important to be able to bring care to home. But the acute care piece is really like where my mind is, is blown. And yeah. so like walk me, like literally walk me through it. Are you seeing patients mostly that come from Emerge first or are they calling their primary physician first? Like what are some of the, the steps to be able to provide that care? Yeah, absolutely. So to walk you through it, this is a patient, let's say elderly, you know, older adults who has, just independent, fiercely independent, right? But is in her in her eighties. But she's down for the count with pneumonia. She's got multi lobar community acquired pneumonia, and she's going to present to the emergency room because she's so short of breath. She doesn't even have time to talk to her PCP, right? And so she presents the ED. She's she's on supplemental oxygen. She's got blood cultures drawn. She got her IV antibiotics pushed as quick as possible, um, but she needs a couple days in the hospital, right? Like that, that's sick. She, she needs to be monitored. She needs supplemental oxygen, all that good stuff, IV antibiotics. So what we do is we're in the eMERGE 
and we can actually turn her right back around, bring her right back home with a home hospital team that deploys, you know, in under half an hour, meet the patient in her home, have an oxygen concentrator there for her, have the IV antibiotics there for her, put a little sticker on her chest to monitor her breathing, her heart rate, her temperature curve, her, her movements, her falls, God forbid, you know, all that stuff. Visit her appropriately, usually twice a day, and keep her in her home the whole time. And then, and then once she's gotten better, discharge her, we like to say from home to home. Uh, and, <laughs> and essentially, you know, the, the episode ends after that. My God, like, I, I don't know if people could fully comprehend the value here. Like, when we see patients that come through, emerge, and then admitted because they need oxygen, that's a, often a lim, like a, a factor yeah. that leads to admission. Yeah. They're stuck in emerge. The wait times increase. They are more prone to whether it's a medical error, whether it's an opportunistic, uh, like a nosocomial infection or hospital-acquired infection, all these negative consequences from being in hospital. And David and his program are preventing this. I, I, like, I, I just, this gets me so excited. So maybe to operationalize it. So give us a sense of, Who's on your team to be able to operationalize that? How many patients could they see? Because I'd imagine there'd be a, a number of patients that would, would would be suitable for the program and they could be dispersed throughout the city. Like, the, What are some of the practical nuances to, to make this happen? Yeah, so I think the, the one place to start, which is really important, is that I am, I'm a pragmatist and I know that we are going to need hospitals. We, we cannot do this for everyone. So that's, that's just the first thing to, to state, because some people say, oh, this is crazy. He wants to knock down hospitals. But in fact, actually, quite really, you work in the ICU often. I think we're, we're going to need ICUs for a long time. Uh, you know, doing do, do ICU level care at home. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it probably the right thing for the patient? Probably not. And, and so I think that's just the first thing. And so we, we have pretty clear inclusion exclusion criteria that we use day in and day out. We use it in our randomized control trial, building off of decades of research from around the world in home hospital care. And now our our criteria have been adopted by hundreds of, of hospitals across the United States. They're in some hospitals in Canada as well that do home hospital. And we have we have to use those criteria to make sure that the patient is safe. Um, once once that's once that's all done, you know, oftentimes patients hip, hip, hooray, I'm getting the you know what out of here um, and and our team then deploys. Right. And so that team is a nurse who's trained in acute care medicine, but is also good in patients homes. Right. Because those are often two very different skill sets. We have a, a general internist um, who sometimes may be a hospitalist, um, sometimes maybe uh, sp- specifically delivering acute care uh, in the home. And then we have paramedics, but these are specially trained paramedics. They're called mobile integrated health paramedics who are up-trained beyond just the traditional kind of 911 uh, emergent services that we traditionally think that paramedics provide. And then we have a whole slew of other 
team members that you'd expect in a hospital, right? Maybe there's a physical therapist, maybe there's a speech and language pathologist, maybe there's a social worker. Um, and then, you know, we have coordinating team, team members as well. And so pharmacy, everything is, is just like you'd expect. And some of them are virtual. Some of them are in the home, um, but we bring all the services that you'd expect to get to get better in the hospital. We bring those to your home. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I, I want to get a sense from you selfishly, like when you, when when it comes to the criteria, like what are some of the classic mm-hmm. uh, characteristics of the patients that you offer this to? Yeah, so I like to think of it as the bread and butter of traditional general internal medicine. Right. Those are the classics. Right. Heart failure coming in with an exacerbation, uh, asthma and COPD exacerbations, and then really any infectious criteria. So cellulitis, complicated urinary tract infection, pneumonia. Those are our like classic, classic ones, just just like you'd see on the general ward as well. And again, the sweet spot is a patient who needs the general ward. And we, we actively prognosticate against the ICU, right? We don't want to be hanging out with the people you hang out with. Uh, We're not good people. And, and, and we, we, <laughs> want, we want to make sure that these patients are going to, you know, stably remain on the general floor, but they need the floor, right? Like if they need discharge, discharge them, please. And, and that is an important piece of home hospital too, right? You can't, you don't want to treat a condition that should be treated in the outpatient setting. That's just increasing utilization and, and doing the opposite of, of the things that you and I feel very, very uh, strongly about. And so those conditions are really bread and butter. And then we're seeing all across the world, um, a, a huge, huge increase in the kinds of conditions we're able to treat at home through home hospital. And that's mostly happening because of technology, mostly happening because of the sensing we can do for patients, the kinds of diagnostics we can do at home that, you know, you need to do in the hospital, but we're able to then expand our horizons quite a bit. And so in terms of like the investigations, this is where I'm really curious. When you're seeing a patient in Emerge, I could see you know, and then you send them home. There's a lot of value there. You could get your x-ray done or CT if needed, your blood work. But if there's a, a situation where you want something more, like they're at home and you would want imaging per se or mm-hmm. ex, extra blood work, how, how, do, how do you operationalize that? Yeah, so the way we typically think about it is can we portableize the diagnostic and bring it to the patient? Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you need a basic metabolic panel or a, a complete blood count, we can do those things at home with portable meters. I can get I can get a BMP and, a, oh, and an H and H in two minutes. Two minutes in a patient's home, way faster than in your ICU. I bet. Hundred uh, percent. Just 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 with the technology that we have. But I can't I can't do all my tests at home, right? I can't get a magnesium, let's say, uh, at home, and so that's something. I put blood in a tube, I bring it back to the core lab, um, and I get that I get that lab a little bit later. What if I need imaging? So I can portableize an X-ray machine. I can do any portable X-ray exam examination in a patient's home. I can do po- point of care ultrasound in a patient's home as well. I can even bring in a radiologist to look at the ultrasound images concurrently with me in real time um, in a patient's home with point of care ultrasound. I can't get a CT home. I can't get an MRI home. So those are things then that we have protocols for what I like to call round trips, 
right? You go to the hospital, get the diagnostic, get the procedure sometimes you need. Like maybe you need interventional radiology for something, or maybe you need a small surgery for something. You can go back to the hospital, get that done, and then you come back home with our team just the same way you would have gone back to the medicine floor. I, I mean, I, Qualcast Nation, listen, you hear me get excited, not infrequently, but this is money, folks, because I, 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 mean, I know I'm being repetitive here, but our, our system is in crisis. This is a clear system. It's a clear approach that can offset some of these, these huge concerns. Like really, and I, and I, and the one thing that I know wholeheartedly, and, and David, you could, you could back me up on this. People do better at home. Like assuming it's a 100%. safe environment and all. Like 100%. People, right? Like people just do better at home. Their food is better. Their, their mood is better. Their spirits are better. That motivation to keep, to keep re- rehabilitating is better. Their sleep. 100% that's essential better. <laughs> the, the risk of delirium. <laughs> Yep. Like this, I, oh, yeah. So it was it was fun, Quadro. In our in our randomized control trial that we did a few years ago. So again, every everybody got patched, right? And on that patch is an accelerometer. So I could tell how many hours or what percent of the day people were lying down versus upright, right? And like you can guess, right? About 65 percent of the day, patients in the hospital were lying down. Not too surprising, right? Because what do patients do in the hospital? They lie down at home. It was it was like less than 30 percent of the day people were were lying down. It's just like night and day, right? The inverse It is crazy, like how oh, the difference. And so I, I think that is part of the special sauce of being at home. Right. It's the same ceftriaxone. Right. It, it's it's the same fluids. But the site of care changing is so important for the patient's health, the patient's well-being, access to their caregivers, their sleep, all those beautiful things. And then all of the all the downstream cost and utilization and quality and safety implications that like we also care. And and so with the RCT, like obviously you, you just mentioned the, the amount of patient uh, time patients were spending in bed, for example, and what you just quoted, I wasn't sure if it was from the RCT too, but like, what are some of the, the other highlights in, that were, were discovered? Yeah. So one, one of the big things that honestly blew, blew us all away was, uh, for example, a 30 day readmission, right? So, um, patients who in our RCT were hospitalized in the traditional hospital ended up readmitted just over 20% of the time, which unfortunately is, is normal in an older age group with things like heart failure and COPD, right? In the home hospital group, uh, patients got readmitted 7% of the time, 20 per, like over 20% versus 7% of the time. Like that's a, that's a huge deal. Like patients care about readmission, right? Like they don't want to end up back in the hospital again. And so patients care about that metric. Obviously, policymakers care about that metric. Hospitals care about that metric because they want to deliver good care. Um, and, and we've seen 30-day readmission re- reductions in almost every single home hospital trial. Um, and so ours happened to be kind of the first RCT in the United States. Um, but we've seen that over and over again in Australia and Spain and elsewhere. Uh, and so, you know, that is, that's a big deal for patients and their families. That's massive. I, I mean, I know obviously RCT is a huge, is going to be a standard uh, way of evaluation, but from a, even from a qualitative perspective, I would love, I would love to hear from patients and their family 
what their perspective was. And I, I, I even, I don't know if you have some an, a, a, anecdotes. So, so yeah, you're setting me up perfect. And I, I don't even think you know it. So we, we did, we published the qualitative study oh, on the RCT. Know. Yeah. Um, no, no worries. It's a, uh, it's a slight, it's a hidden, hidden publication, but uh, yeah. So we, we basically, so we interviewed both the, the patient's, in the control group, right, the hospital group, and in the home group, the intervention group. And it's night and day, man. It's night and day, right? Like patients' locus of control when they're at home is enormous compared to, right, we strip like all dignity and control from patients when they're in the hospital. Um, patients' ability to get restful sleep that they commented on, patients' ability to be with their family when they're at home versus in the hospital, Um just night and day better at home. Um, you know, to be fair, there was also some discussion about how sometimes it was, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes patients could felt that there was a technology requirement for them when they were at home. Um, but that, I don't think that was a, a strongly held uh, kind of belief across the study, but really nice qualitative findings as well from patients. Wow. Wow. And, and more more to the monitoring, like you mm -hmm. you mentioned a patch. Like what what's the what's the the name of the of the the patch or the the product and and what exactly could could it measure? Yeah, so we used the vital patch. It's called, and we it essentially goes on patient's chest, stays there for the whole admission. You can shower with it. Uh, and it, a Bluetooth connection to a tablet that we bring to your home. And we bring internet to your home for equity issues. And essentially, it can tell you your telemetry. It can tell you, so therefore, your heart rate. It has a wonderful respiratory rate algorithm on it. It's got falls detection on it. And then it has continuous temperature. And so this is cool stuff. And, you know, a little nerdy for the general interns, but right, like you're used to getting really great respiratory rates when someone's vented, right? But other than that, respiratory rates are terrible in the hospital. Everyone's breathing at 18, 18, 18, because nobody stops. Docs, nurses, techs, nobody stops to actually count someone's respiratory rate, right? And so we get, we get amazing respiratory rates with this technology to so the point where I now use it as, as an indicator of, of like, wow, this patient with COPD exacerbation, I know they're better because they're no longer breathing at 38, right? Like, and it's, it's, and I can see it easily in the numbers, whereas those kind of data are hidden um, in our typical vital signs calculations. And so it's, it's really opening up a lot of clinical opportunities to the point where I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg with this stuff, right? We're still looking at it in very, very infantile ways. Like here, here's your, here's your heart rate. Here's your respiratory rate. And so we're doing a lot of work actually right now to develop AI machine learning algorithms to, to really help us ingest, you know, the terabytes and terabytes of data we have on our patients now. Yeah. You need to take advantage of that. We, one of our, one of our, intensivist uh, Andrew Seeley we he, he's done an immense work with like heart rate variability yeah uh, and and um, and uh, using waveform analysis AI to, to predict basically predict patients uh, deterioration before mm -hmm. necessarily it, it could be obvious that they're going to be deteriorating which is where the future is and and so yeah with, with the amount of data that you have at your disposal too like you're you're laughing and to reiterate too about the rest rate folks or those that are 
that are non-medical or, or learning, like th- that's probably the most sensitive test in general for when, when someone's going to decline, you know? And so right. like having something that is relatively reliable at that, that is, that's big. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, if you, by the way, if you ever want, like from a collab perspective with the AI flavor, cause I, I mean, I don't want to digress too much, but the, the AI leverage for this is huge too, eh? Like the, the, whether it's, um, chatbotting with people from, from home to get, get some early signs that things are, are going, going south, uh, from a communication piece. Like there's so many AI pieces that I think, this could really apply to, but wow, like you're hundred percent, hundred percent. And and I think it's particularly salient in home hospital, right? Because one of the, one of the worries in home hospital is we're not right there, right? Like mm. there's not a nurse just right around the corner who can come on by and check on you because you might be five miles away in your home. And so that's where I think sensing as well as knowing what to do with the sensing is, is just key in this field because Already, you know, we're able to see these kinds of deteriorations in in the vital sign values just from more traditional techniques. But I think we are just on the cusp of really unleashing kind of some some really important abilities to predict that there's deterioration coming, there's decline coming. Uh, and I think it's especially important in, in home hospital so that we can intervene upstream and make sure that, you know, we can keep that patient in their home. That's a really good point. Like to, if you have that leeway. Yeah. You know, for several reasons for their safety, because, you, you know, you might be at a distance. But, yeah, just to be able to provide the tools for them to stay at home. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, any other like any other barriers that you have come up across? Like, I'm, I'm just thinking like when I when I go on to present this to my my board or my senior management team, I will they will the is a concern. Like the upfront costs, is there concerns about HR? Like where where have you had some hangups when in terms of 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 amplifying this message? You know, when we started, there was a lot of concern among the clinicians. A lot. You know, the our, our ED colleague said Dave, I'm really, I really want to support you, but it's my license on the line when I, when I send this patient to you. So, you know, if something bad happens, what am I, what's going to happen? You, you could kill all these people when they go home. Um, you know, our cardiologist said, how are we supposed to trust you with our patients with heart failure exacerbations? And they were all extremely well-meaning, extremely, like they want, we all want the best for the patient. And so, it, you know, we agreed and that we, we, we studied it. You know, we, we didn't say this is standard of care. Um, and, you know, we enrolled patients in a, an IRB approved research study to, to look at it and make sure that we weren't causing insane amounts of harm or anything like that. And, you know, the data spoke for itself eventually. Right. And the clinicians said, Oh my God, like that, what, how, what happened to readmission rates? Like, and, 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 and so on. And so, I think, you know, those data really, really spoke for themselves and, and helped convert a lot of clinicians who just didn't, didn't really, it didn't resonate with them at first. And, and it was because they had the patients, they had the patient's best interest at heart, they thought. Um, and then, then they were able to kind of see some of our own, own U.S. based data. And, and I think that really turned their heads. Yeah. Like the more I'm thinking about this, how I'm going to try and ring, uh, ring the alarm is, you know, almost like a similar to what you described, like a pilot platform uh that way you get some funding to to be able to try and operationalize some of this mm-hmm. and then similar to you guys like just 
just to have some concrete outcomes that people can, that they care about. And it's the stories too, right? Like you go back and you, you talk to the cardiologist, you say, Hey, I want to tell you about Mrs. Jones. And I want to tell you about Mr. Smith. I want to show you how well they did. And they're going to be back in your clinic next week type of thing, you know? Mm. And so like, even though physicians were all, we're supposed to be numbers, 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 right. Uh, And we're supposed to, you know, want, want the best, you know, outcomes were a lot of heart too. And when you tell them that story about, you know, Mrs. Smith, she's been readmitted four times for heart failure. And guess what? Because I did a kitchen walkthrough with her and I found the, 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 the Eggo tacos in in her freezer that she keeps eating, like that, that fixed everything type of thing. And so it, it, it can be very impactful to tell the stories too. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Dave, because like I was I, I was going to follow up and say in terms of scale, like this is where you really want to leverage the virtual platforms like to be able to, to you know, be able to see as many patients as possible. Sometimes I know locally we have HR issues with having enough docs, but that point you just made, you know, the the walk through the home. That's got to be where there's a lot of special sauce right there because it's huge. The, the, the hidden gems. Because I've, I've, I mean, I've never. I, I mean, I've, I used to do a bit of home visits with uh, palliative, but the, it can be extremely eye-opening to realize. Yes, this is why they are coming back with heart failure. This is why there's so much emotional distress, like. This is why I need to spend more time. Like that must be a huge element of why this is working. It is. I I think it is one of the largest secret sauces of home hospital is you get to treat people in their home, in their space, on their turf, on their terms, right? Like Mm. you get to see the crazy way that Mrs. Smith takes her 20 medications every morning. Like she's got the upside down dish and she's got the (laughs) napkin version and and she doesn't take this one when she eats her bread and like all this stuff. And you get to like see that and you work through it and you work with it. You can't do any of that in the hospital. The best thing you can do is try to ask her her medications that she doesn't remember. And she says they're in the computer. Don't worry. I take them all. Right. And we all know that's not true. Like everybody is has discrepancies in their medications all the time. And so it is huge to be able to be in the home for medication reasons, dietary reasons, psychosocial reasons, family dynamic reasons, you know, everything from sleep hygiene and up, right? So it's pretty enormous, the impact we can have. And I'll mention also the ability that we have to intervene on social determinants of health, right? That are, that are often hidden to us when we're in the hospital, right? Like you can see that the cupboards are bare. You can see that the place smells like urine. You can see all these different issues. The window is broken and et cetera. And so we have, we have an enormous opportunity as well as responsibility to act on those things when we see them, to, to bring in the right services, to bring the super upstairs and show him the, the broken window type of thing. And so it's, it's definitely part of the secret sauce. Well, yeah, absolutely. And like, where do you see this going? Like, where do you see it? Like the next steps, like even locally where you're at, you know, in, in, in Massachusetts, like, are you seeing it scaling? Are you seeing, are you up against a wall with some bureaucracy? Like, wh- wh- where's the love? Like, is there love happening? 
There's a lot of love happening. I, I think so. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, there's really two, two sides. One, there's the innovation and research place where things are going. So I'll speak to that. And then, then there's the, the scale of the enterprise, right? And so mm-hmm. I can tell you locally, for example, Mass General Brigham, which is the, the health system that, um, that, uh, partners with Brigham and Women's and Massachusetts General Hospital. They, we are, we are currently building what's probably the world's largest home hospital program. We're building a 220 bed, bed, virtual bed home hospital program, uh, in Boston. That's huge. That's amazing. Like, I can't tell you how excited I am to see like that kind of scale. We're basically building the equivalent of a community size hospital, but in, in the homes of people in Boston. And we're seeing, we now see home hospital in over 270 hospitals across the country, across the United States. Um, and so it is spreading a lot. Uh, and that's thanks to kind of a waiver program that finally regulates and pays for home hospital in the United States. It's, brand, it's pretty brand new, honestly. Um, we're seeing similar stuff in Canada, too, just to piece out in the CMAG at- recently. Yeah. There are several home hospital programs in Canada. And what I wanted, what I wanted to say, actually, is so on the research side, for example, we are pushing the model into completely new spaces. So, for example, we have a randomized control trial right now um, through my work at Ariadne Labs looking at rural home hospital, right? Because most home hospital stuff right now is urban, but we are specifically testing, like, can you do this in rural areas? Um, at least in the U.S., one in five people live in rural areas. And so one of our sites, Quadjo, is is in Canada. It's in Wetaskiwin. Yeah, yeah, it's in Wetaskiwin oh, in, in Alberta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so my uh, father-in-law, rest in peace, lives like, like used to like live in Wetasco, and so no, we, we were there. No like, way! No, no, no way! Too. We're from Edmonton, <laughs> so like, uh, like his uh, his wife is, is still in Wetasco, and so no I, way! I, I honestly, this is this is killing me. I, I, That's I, crazy. I, I had no idea. I literally no idea. Number one, that it was. Like established pro- programs in Canada, and yeah. number two, if there's a place that needs it, Wetaskiwin definitely would be one of the sites that I, I would back that up. But yeah. wow, yeah, no. So there's there's a home hospital program in Calgary, home hospital program in Edmonton, and then um, this Wetaskiwin program is part of our randomized control trial. And they're currently enrolling patients, and again, it's it's fifty fifty deal, right? So you show up to the emerge, you need acute care, you need to stay in the hospital. Half of those patients will go home. They'll get care from from the home hospital team that we've helped help them uh, stand up, and then the other half will stay in the hospital for the control group. Um, and it's a you know actively enrolling trial right now. My goodness! Of course, there's my, my home province of Alberta that's leading the way. I'm uh, currently living in Ottawa, and and uh, I often I often give love to my uh, to Alberta because uh, I always feel like I mean it's a heavy resource. Uh, a lot of resources in that province, but a lot of innovation too, like a lot of efforts to think outside the box, which I truly value. But this is huge, David. Like, like the idea with with uh, the over two hundred virtual beds or so, or, uh, like like, rel- like beds uh, yeah. in the home uh, hospital space. Like this is monstrous. And like what I like about what your group is doing to it is like, and I'm making the assumption like y'all are going to be the epicenter. When it comes to the innovation research, when it comes to people similar to, like to, to myself that has an idea that wants to develop it or order research it, I know where I'm calling. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this is 
Oh, uh, do you do you know who you, the connects are in Alberta? Maybe I'll uh, I'll I'll bug you after the interview in terms of who you yeah, connect sure. with. Yeah, we can yeah, we can chat. We can chat. We've got we got some great great folks that we're working with in Alberta. Oh my goodness. Like you know any any other highlights David in terms of um home hospital that we haven't touched upon that that uh, that comes to mind. Yeah, you know, I, I think one other area that's really important to talk about that is often on people's minds is the the equity of the intervention, right? Like, can can everybody from all walks of life get home hospital? Or are there certain sorts of people that it doesn't work well for because it's a flawed model or not as not as a robust model as we'd like? And that's something very near and dear to me, honestly, because I don't I don't want to be trying to stand up a model that's only right for certain kinds of people. And so we've we've been you know trying to to study this very carefully and, and lots of groups have so far. And to be honest with you, we're we're still only at the beginning of fully getting the data out there on this. Um and and we're continuing to do it. But I think some of the highlights are Basically, right now, I think the take home is that we can deliver home hospital care quite equitably to to folks of different socioeconomic statuses, different, um, you know, neighborhoods, things like that. Um, some of the data so far. So, for example, in the United States, the, the first year of the national waiver that came out, upwards of nearly 20 percent of the folks that got care in a home hospital um had Medicaid, uh, which is the the insurance program in, in the United States for for folks who are poor, uh, which I think is, is saying a lot, right? Like twenty percent of the people nationally who got the care, um, you know, were making very little money uh, on a monthly basis. The other interesting, you know, areas of research are people looking at, all right, well, what are what sort of patients are, are the ones who are failing home hospital, right? They, they end up escalating. They got to come back to the hospital um, and and need need more care. So it's not, not really a fail, but it, it's just, it didn't work. Something didn't work for them. And so far, groups like Atrium Health um, down in the Carolinas have looked at this and, and have shown that there doesn't seem to be any any systemic difference between folks of different race, ethnicity, folks of different genders, folks of different age, um, based on um, some of the regression analyses that they've done. Folks at Mount Sinai in New York City um, categorized their patients into advantaged, they said, and disadvantaged patients, right? So, for example, maybe you lived in New York City public housing would be a reason to be, um, you know, in that disadvantaged category. They actually showed that folks in the disadvantaged category came back to the emergency department less often than folks who were advantaged, which you, you and I, you and I know this, but that's amazing, right? Like patients who, who are, who are poor come back to the emergency room almost always more often because of social determinants of health, right? We know that. And, and so what was probably going to be the take home once we have more and more literature is that all boats rise, whether you're a high SES, a low SES, everybody's getting benefit from home hospital. But because of that secret sauce that we talked about, right, you're in that home. I, I actually think that folks who are of a lower socioeconomic status are even going to gain even more from the home hospital intervention when all is said and done. Makes total sense. They, they have so much more to gain from a from a, uh, an expert's input when you, you've had so many things maybe stacked against you. So, yeah, great point. You, you, the other thing that came to mind, David, in terms of, you know, in terms of 
measurable. I wonder if this would be measurable would be, I bet you staff wellness burnout. I bet mm. you that hits up here too. Like honestly, because of not only like if I'm an eMERGE nurse or a staff member and I know I could get someone home safely instead of sticking around and when the, in this miserable space or even the, the people that are providing care in the home. Yeah. Cause I'll tell you, as a, when I was doing palliative, there was almost nothing as rewarding as providing palliative care in someone's home. So I it. bet you this would be huge from a wellness perspective. You got it. Yeah. We, we have published a, a small public, small, small pilot trial of looking at burnout among our home hospital team. Uh, it was just a single arm study. We just looked at just our team. So I can't compare it to anything quite yet. Um, but I can tell you burnout was, was quite low, um, yeah. among our team members. And I, I agree with you. It, for me personally, it's the most authentic care I've ever delivered. You know, I've been doing it for, for many years now and it is refreshing. It's rejuvenating. Like you, you really get to feel your patients, um, and, and feel like you're making a, a big impact in, in like this critical moment in their lives, right? Like they're acutely ill. Thank God that doesn't happen to all that many of us all that much. But during that moment, like you can, you can really have a big impact on them. And, uh, I know that for me and, and many of my colleagues, like it is, it's, it's the best feeling, uh, to the point where I've had, I've had colleagues say, I'm never practicing in a hospital again. Like you, you can't get me to practice in a hospital anymore. Uh, and so, you know, not everybody feels that way, but uh, I certainly, I certainly do. Oh my goodness. I, I don't leave too many episodes feeling this good, David, but this is, I got to tell you, you're an inspiration, my friend. You really are because you are making a difference in not only locally, not only for your patients, not only for your, your colleagues, but you, this, this concept, especially with the evaluations, the RCT, first one in the States, follow-up studies, this is how you make a difference. This is how you, you, you convince stubborn-minded MDs that we need to pivot in this way. And I'll tell you, we need this. We need this now. And I'll tell you, if someone has you know, I, that could have a, some impact locally. I'll, I'll speak up to this because this is something that's too important and so many people need this right now. So this is a long winded way of saying thank you for the, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And I'm always happy to help. And, you know, let's, let's hope one day every hospital in Ottawa will have a home hospital. Oh, it starts with a conversation, my friend. And by the way, how do people get a hold of you, David, if they want to reach out? Or- just just drop me an email. Uh, just drop me an email. Uh, DM Levine at bwh.harvard.edu. Bam. All right. You heard it here, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, David, I know this won't be the last time we connect, my brother. Very good. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Godcast. That was freaking awesome. So awesome. If you enjoyed that, please leave us any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Leave a five-star rating. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at Quadcast. Jump on our newsletter. Jump on our community at quadcast.subject.com. All things healthcare solutions all on one site. Y'all are going to love it. All right, people. I hope you're feeling a little bit more jump in your step after that episode. Thanks for listening. Talk real soon. Peace.